Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Thank you all for joining me in the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG and MHS Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Okay, this is pl- Playoff Time, Playoff Podcast. Uh, I'm got uh, going to try to fill 30 minutes with uh, talking about uh, what's going to be happening. But first, on, uh, I want to tell you about this. Um, Denver Stiffs, which is now part of Mile High Sports, but it, it's, it's kind of its own thing. Uh, it's its own brand. Uh, it, it's about the community of the Denver Nuggets, as uh, what Denver Stiffs is, uh, has been, and always will be. As every one of you know who listens to this podcast for the last, I don't know, twelve years that this has been on, uh, it's part of my DNA. Even though I haven't been part of the Stiffs organization since two thousand seventeen, God, that was six years ago. Uh, anyway. I uh, um, wanted to mention that we are going to be having two Stiffs Nights out this week. Um, the first one is on Wednesday at uh, 7.30 p.m., which is about a half hour before the game starts, and it'll be at Sportsbook Bar and Grill in Highlands Ranch. Okay, Sportsbook Bar and Grill in Highlands Ranch, 7.30 p.m. on uh, Wednesday which is two days from now when this posts, uh, be sure and make plans to get there. This will, this is, this is, there's going to be giveaways. There's going to be things that you'll really enjoy being there as any Nuggets fan will. Remember, this is just, this is the, this is the one that started it all. This is, this is the DNA of Denver sports. And that is, that is Denver Stiffs. And this is going Stiff's Night Out, which be debuted in February of 2010. I mean, can you believe that? So um, be sure and go to Sportsbook Bar and Grill on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. And that's in Highlands Ranch. And that'll be the first one. The second one is at uh, Haters slash Tap 14 uh, downtown. And that one will be for the first away game, which is going to be on Friday. Um, this one will be at 7 p.m. Um, and which is a half hour before that game starts. So make sure that you, 
uh, get there for both um, in plenty of time, uh, specifically the one for Tap 14 and Haters that is downtown. Keep that in mind. There is no Rockies game going on at that time, so it'll be you'll have we'll have downtown to ourselves. Um, so be sure and make a point to get down there for both Stiff's Night Out watch parties. It's not really a watch party. It's just a Stiff's Night Out, okay? And that's what Denver Stiff's was. It was just a hangout of the community of Denver Stiff's. Um, please make it out there and enjoy the company and watch uh, the games with your fellow fans. Um, this is really what Stiff's has always been about. And I hope everyone makes a point to get down there, get out, and, and have fun. Um, so do that, and I'll at the end of the podcast, I'll remind everyone of it. Okay, the Nuggets beat the Minnesota Timberwolves, beat the brakes off of them last night um, in a game that by the third quarter, midway through the third quarter, wasn't even competitive. And quite frankly, the Nuggets could have won by 40. Um, you could tell by the time we get to the fourth quarter, they had kind of let the uh, foot off the gas, and they still won by 27. You know, it's just, it is... Um, basically the Nuggets demonstrating that they weren't fooling around. And in the first part of the podcast, I'm going to talk about that concept of not fooling around. And I think how we all got deceived collectively. Um, I'm going to include myself, even though I wasn't as, as concerned as other people about the Nuggets close to the season. Um, there is, there is something that we, I'm going to reiterate, and this is based on a couple podcasts ago, is that the Nuggets prioritized their health over everything going into basically after they beat the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, what people forget, and they always talk about, you know, well, since the All-Star break, they were 12 and 11 and stuff like that. But really, March 3rd is is the cutoff date. Because right after that, after they beat the Memphis Grizzlies, then they beat the uh, – uh, Toronto Raptors in a, the, the Scotty Barnes getting ejected game. And it was those two, and they, the Nuggets had won like six in a row or something like that after that. And and anyway, they, they, they once, not after that, but to, up to that point, then they went on their four-game losing streak. But the Nuggets, up until the Memphis game, um, basically when they got up by seven, um, the, the team... Uh, seven games, the team basically uh, said, okay, we're going to prioritize our health. And they kind of mentally shut down, which was part of the problem and which led to this collective perception that the Nuggets are a week eight seed. Um, and people forget that the Nuggets were way up in the standings by the time we get to March 3rd. The close to the year was largely influenced by the East Coast uh, road trip where they they lost to... Uh, all of these uh, these teams, and it kind of influenced the way people thought about them, and you know, and then they lost to Brooklyn at home, and they just weren't. They were looking kind of, meh. and they weren't really playing that hard. They lost to Toronto in in Toronto, but then they beat the um, the Brooklyn Nets in Brooklyn. Kind of got back on their feet a little, and then won four games in a row. And then once they won that four games in a row, they completely shut it down. And I think what has happened is that the East Coast trip influenced the way, 
ESPN thought about them. And, you know, let's be 100% honest here. If it's not playing on the East Coast or in in uh, uh, California, they don't give a shit. So, uh, obviously, this is the first time a lot of them saw the Nuggets, and that influenced the way they thought about them. Um, and that obviously infected the way the Minnesota Timberwolves thought, and I'm going to get into that dynamic later. I'm going to get into that dynamic later. Um, but in the first part of this podcast, we have to talk about how the Nuggets proved to everyone that they can turn it on. Um, and it was demonstrated basically from the start of the game. The Nuggets you know, did give up the lead a couple times, but I think the, the most that Minnesota got ahead was three points. Um, it was never anything substantial. The Nuggets didn't even look uncomfortable at that point in time. And that's when you knew I have watched basketball long enough to know when a team thinks, oh yeah, we got this. And that was it. Um, it was a great collective defense performance of a team that it was hot coming in. I mean, the, the, the Timberwolves just played, uh, two nights before they played last night. So obviously the concern was the Nuggets would be rusty. But the Nuggets prioritizing their health over everything else lulled all of us collectively into a underestimating kind of mode. Now, look, I, this is just game one, and I, I, I firmly believe that uh, the Timberwolves will play much better in game two. Um, they will uh, make adjustments. This is the way series go. Um, you know, even the Nuggets in game two and the Warriors last year when they're basically it was Jokic, um, half of Aaron Gordon and a G League team, um, were basically um, played a lot better in the second game. And then by the third game, they had figuring things, some things out. It's just what happens in series. You never count your chickens before they're hatched. That's not what we do in these series. But the Nuggets did demonstrate that they're they're serious and they come to play. And one of the things that we were all very much concerned about were the Nuggets being lax and not being able to, quote, turn it on. Um, what we saw last night, specifically from uh, Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., was a, a hellacious commitment to what the Nuggets were doing. You know, both of the guys, both of those guys were missing a ton of shots at the beginning, but you could tell they were amped up, specifically MPJ. He was really amped up. But um, by the time we get to the second quarter, midway through the second quarter, specifically when the starters all circulated back in, Aaron Gordon had foul trouble all night, which is something that we're going to, we underestimate, but that probably, the Nuggets probably are coasting by the time they get to the second quarter if Aaron Gordon is not having foul trouble. But the the team specifically Jamal and uh, MPJ, by the time you get to the second quarter, midway through, they're like, okay, well, let's just turn it on. Mike going to the basket. He had three, he had three plays, a, a two dunks and a putback of a uh, Jokic miss that were um, not a Jokic miss. I think it was a Jamal miss um, that were just great. Crucial. I mean, it was during a time when they were trading baskets with the, uh, with the Timberwolves. What that did was basically say, we're not going to allow you any runs. Specifically since Ant, uh, Anthony uh, Edwards was the only one who was doing anything for the Timberwolves. Carl uh, Anthony Towns had a very Carl Anthony Towns game. And um, and you, Rudy Gobert, you know, outside of being able to block shots on defense, was basically, you know, he's nothing on offense. So uh, other than setting screens. So this Nuggets team um, 
demonstrated, and I think they needed to demonstrate it to the fans, that they were serious about what was going on. They were serious about taking it to the Timberwolves in such a manner that they, uh, to demonstrate to the league that they aren't to be messed with. The interesting thing about this uh, is, in, in, uh, it bugs me, and, and I could tell it has bugged a lot of different people, is the Nuggets have been dumped into the 8.30 time slot, um, which is 10.30 on the East Coast. By the time the games got started last night, it was almost 9. It was just kind of, you know, it was like the we don't care time slot. Considering that the actual Pacific time zone, or I, I mean, is Phoenix in the Pacific time zone now, or are they with Mountain Time right now? Well, whatever. By they, they could have easily started the the Phoenix and Clippers game later, but they didn't for reasons because you know, you know, TNT and ESPN and all these they 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 have to display the LA teams because whatever. Um, but by the time we get to that point, the Nuggets are you know everyone on the East Coast specifically has gone to sleep. And uh, I think that has influenced some of the post-game um, coverage. Um, many of the people did not, obviously, in the East Coast, did not stay up to watch this. It's done strategically because no one gave a shit about this series. Um, and it's disappointing, and it's a fact of life that we as Nuggets fans have to get used to. Um, so when you are looking at the uh, wrap-ups and the, of everything that has gone on, um, with the, the pot, the, the podcast, the, 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 the ESPN and Fox, uh, morning shows and all this stuff. There's a reason they're not talking about the Denver Nuggets. It says that it, the game was placed strategically to where people will not watch it. And that was extremely frustrating. I, I, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I am not a late, um, in the evening kind of person anymore. And by the time midway through the third quarter, my eyes were struggling to be kept open. I'm sorry. I am an old, that's exactly what happens to you as you get older. So, uh, I, I just, I, I hated it and it's going to be happening again on, uh, they're going to play at eight o'clock on, on Wednesday. It's just, I think it's unnecessary. It's stupid. And I think doing that to a number one seed kind of shows you how little, TV executives and the uh, and maybe even influenced by the league office don't give a shit. They just don't give a shit. They don't hate the Nuggets. I've said this over and over. These teams do not hate the Nuggets. The the, the I mean, excuse me. The uh, the league doesn't hate the Nuggets. ESPN doesn't hate the Nuggets. They just don't give a shit. And you know, myths might be working out to the Nuggets' advantage. And in the second half of the podcast, I'm going to talk about how Michael Malone's own, uh, let's just say, complicated feelings about um, um, a certain organization and people within the organization might have influenced what I think is one of the dumbest decisions he's ever made. Um, because what is a podcast without uh, criticizing Michael Malone? So. Uh, before I do that, I want to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th, and Blake and Wazi in beautiful lower downtown, Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They are always online at bfwcolorado.com. Got a location in Fort Collins and a location in the dairy block. Um, I have not been to the one in Fort Collins, but I'm told it's great, and it's also in a great location. It's kind of got a second deck thing working out for them and they've got the same varietals they there as they do in denver um i can reiterate i don't get paid for this stuff i just i just talk about blanchard family wines because i like them 
Um, and I think this, the part of it is just like, they're great. They're great wine. They got reds, they got whites, they got Rieslings. Uh, Rieslings is the specific grape varietal in Western Slope, Colorado. It grows really well out there. And, uh, I am told that, uh, all the Riesling varietals are spectacular, um, that come out of the Western Slope, but they also got, you know, my favorites, which are Cabernet and, uh, uh, the Pinot, the Pinot that comes from Sonoma County is really good. And most of the varietals from the branded version of Blanchard Finer Wines, of course, of course, are from Sonoma County. So you get that kind of rich uh, California taste out there. And uh, it's all well worth your time going down to the dairy block or going to the location in Fort Collins. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazi in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They are always online at BFW Colorado. Dot com. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. Michael Malone carries grudges. Um, and this, this is 100% something that we should all know and accept right now. Michael Malone carries a very... It, it, there's grudges that, that just run deep. It took Michael Malone a long time to uh, warm up to Michael Porter Jr. Um, it took Michael Malone, and I don't even know if it's fully there, to be quite honest with you. Um, there are things that, I mean, that he just can't let go. Um, and it's not me breaking news to tell people that the parting of Chris Finch from the Denver Nuggets in 2017 was not a pretty one. It wasn't a happy one. Um, and Finch eventually went to New Orleans and really actually got the best of out of uh, uh, DeMarcus Cousins and uh, uh, Anthony Davis in a way that I didn't think anyone really could in the modern era of basketball. Um, and they he was able to, to just be that because he's great offensive mind. Don't let anyone tell you that Chris Finch did not dramatically affect the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets pre Chris Finch and the Denver Nuggets post Chris Finch are different teams. Denver, the Denver Nuggets ran offense really almost borderline ineptly before uh, uh, Chris Finch got there and Finch was the one who unlocked Jokic and uh, laid the blueprint of how to run a, a Jokic offense, you know, obviously deferring to what Jokic can do, knowing, knowing that he's a savant and all that. But Chris Finch really was, and, and don't let people tell you that he did not have a tremendous influence on that. That Nuggets offense that year was superb. It was great. So anyway, he left here. Um, I can tell you with some certainty that it was not a pleasant parting. Uh, he and Malone probably, I, I can, it's, I'm not breaking any news to tell anyone that uh, these two did not get along. And I think that uh, when you see something last night, which I, I, I think if, if I am a member of the Nuggets organization, I get to Michael Malone and tell him that um, the regular season is probably a better time to be making points and not the, not the playoffs. Um, Jokic coming back in with, I think seven minutes left in the game and the Nuggets are up 30 was, uh, insanity. 
there was no reason for Njokic to be out there. And even, in fact, after the game, uh, was it, uh, I think Ernie Johnson asked uh, Jokic about it. He says, I'm not the one you should be asking this question. And he was, and his wrist was heavily wrapped. Um, I, I think we all know that this wasn't Jokic's decision, and then therefore it resulted in a flagrant foul, and Jokic deliberately, I mean, let's face it, deliberately fouling himself out of the game. Okay. And uh, there was no reason for Jokic to be out there. There was none. And um, the fact that Malone put him out there in that situation was kind of dumb. And I think sometimes Malone specifically can get caught up in his personal issues with others. And it kind of devolves into what we saw. Um, obviously, and, and thankfully, there was no damage done. But that is a situation where your player can get injured. There was no earthly reason for Jokic to have been out there at that moment in time. And I know the Nuggets won by 30 points, and we are nitpicking the crap out of this right now. But the fact remains that that could have resulted in such a, a series franchise changing mistake if if something goes wrong in a completely unnecessary stretch of basketball and i don't think malone got asked about it post game which is uh um remarkable um now, some of that is Chris Finch had left Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards out there in the fourth. But the difference is the <laughs> Timberwolves were down by 30 and had shown since the third quarter zero ability to climb back in the game, even with the Nuggets second unit out there. They'd showed known zero ability to climb back in this game. The Nuggets had 100% control of this game. And basically from the start of the third, but by the midway through the third, after Michael, Michael Porter Jr. hit that uh, three-point three and one for the four-point play, by the time that happened, the Nuggets were basically 100% in control and the Wolves never threatened. So what I'm saying to you is sometimes Malone gets his, coming back to this, tunnel vision. And that tunnel vision is can be unintentionally harmful and i think last night was an example of that happening and it all i mean everyone saw Jokic's wrist and in, in the post-game interview being completely i mean just had a massive wrap on it um and he was wiggling his hand oh, quite a bit it's just it you don't want to risk something like that over whatever okay um, it, um, Malone, as I said, he has his things and sometimes those things can create tunnel vision. And I think there is no harm in pointing out that mistake. There isn't more than that though. The Nuggets have gone up one zero and, uh, they have not been up one zero since I think the Portland series in, uh, 2019. I believe that's the last time they were up 1-0. Oh, no, 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 no. I was wrong. It was Utah. 
Utah in the bubble. The Nuggets were up 1-0. Uh, then they lost the next three games, and then they won the next three games. But um, that is the first time in three years the Nuggets have managed to do that. And when you think about that, when you think about getting up and getting that, that advantage, what you play for for the whole year is to get to a point where you are healthy going into the, to the playoffs, as we've discussed many times. And on the flip side of that, you also work for that moment when you can, you know, turn it on in front of the home crowd. And uh, uh, kudos to the, the ball arena crowd last night. I thought, I mean, based on what I saw on the television, I thought they showed out. And most people wore their goddamn T-shirts. Uh, could, congratulations. It has been like pulling teeth to get the people who go into the arena to wear those stupid T-shirts. Just, I mean, at people just like... I have never I have never seen a fan base more resistant to being part of a collective than in Denver. It is so amazing. I uh um I was thinking about the um the what was it 2 years ago? Um when the Nuggets put out some shirts. This is one of the few this is one of the times I was actually there at the arena. Everyone got in and no one wore the shirts. Just no one wore the shirts and I'm like, what are you doing people? What are you doing? This is the, they put them here for a reason. And it's almost like people go in and they like, it's, it's, I made the analogy on Twitter yesterday. It's like they become hip, they, they become Gen Xers. Everyone becomes an honorary Gen Xer when they enter ball arena because no one wants to sell out. And at least that's what it seems like because that, that there was no reason people shouldn't, couldn't have been at least put on the shirts before, but, but, kudos to the Denver Nuggets crowd at Ball Arena. Everyone showed out and showed up at their best. I, I, I honestly have to give everyone a ton of credit. The crowd was great, jazzed. I think, and what I will credit the crowd for is um, not letting the Nuggets go through a lull. I mean, Denver crowds tend to, at least post-2000, tend to let the team get them pumped rather in the and then the reverse like you've seen in sacramento and uh golden state where the the crowd seems to motivate the teams last night was more of a uh crowd similar to golden state and uh uh the kings uh the sacramento the i mean really truly people genuinely looked like they were wanting to motivate the Denver Nuggets. And I thought that was really, really cool. Um, and kudos to the fans that showed up. And there wasn't many Minnesota fans. And which is, you know, like, look, if this was Chicago or if this was Boston or all those, you know, degenerates that come in from uh, the upper Midwest or the East Coast, um, you know, it probably would have been a different kind of ratio. But this Nuggets team and the Nuggets fans really proved something last night. And I think the rest of the series hinges on where the Nuggets can keep that foot on the gas. They have been operating on a flip, a switch flipping mode all year. And I think they turned it up. And the key will be in game two to see if they can have that same intensity. Keep, keep the business going. Know that you have to take care of business. And if the Nuggets keep up that same energy, as the kids would say, 
I think they can uh, they can do some big damage in these playoffs. The Nuggets proved all of us wrong. They flipped the switch. Let's see if they can keep that switch on. All right, thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast. I'll be back on in a couple days with another episode. Goodbye.